Welcome back as we continue our message series, Identity Crisis. And I want you to know I never take it lightly that you're dialing in to what is going on each and every week. And I want to thank you for doing that. If you've missed any of the previous weeks, parts one through three in this series, you can go back. Uh, Stay with us. You don't have to have seen the previous three uh, to follow along today. Uh, This will stand on its own, but go back later. I hope you will. Go back and watch on demand any that you may have missed. Today is part number four, and as I've been reminding you, reminding myself that when you and I know who we really are, and a lot of times we just, as I mentioned in week one, people want to get to know us. They want to know more about our lives. Typically, we tell them what we do, what our profession is, what our job, what our career is. And uh, instead of telling them what we do, uh, it's important for us to understand who we are. And each week, I've been trying to remind us that when we know who we are, then we will do what we're supposed to do. When we know who we are, then we will know what to do. And here's where we're going with this message today. I want us to understand straight out of the Bible, and I'm excited about the verses that we're going to look at together, and I hope you'll write them down. Maybe you'll want to go back and read them later, study them later on your own. But today, this is going to be what we're going to talk about. It is, we are salt and we are light. I want you to say that with me. Will you say that with me out loud? We are salt and we are light. And to get us started, I want to share with you something that I read some time ago from a great pastor, a great church leader. Greg Laurie is out on the West Coast, and this is what he has written. He said, few things in the Bible are more upside down than God's plan to save the world. Think about this for a moment. The all-powerful God of the universe chose limited, fallible human beings as his main vehicle to spread the most important message that this world has ever known. He continues by saying he could have chosen angels to do the job. And that's true. He could have. God could have chosen. He could have parted the clouds and spoken audibly with his own voice. And certainly we know that God could have done that had he chose to distribute his message Uh, This is what Laurie continues to write. In the past, he spoke through a burning bush, appeared in visions, and carved his law on stone tablets. But in our day, in your day, in my day, he has clearly chosen ordinary men and women to carry his message of salvation to the world. And friends, I want you to know right out of the gate in this talk today that this is incredibly applicable to your life and to my life. Because we are salt and we are light and we are carriers of this important, this crucial message of salvation. You are salt, you are light, and you are a carrier of the message of salvation that can transform lives. Not only for here and now, but also for all of eternity. In fact, I want you to take a look with me at what Jesus said about this in Matthew's gospel Matthew chapter 5 and verse 13, these are the words of Jesus. And he uses two metaphors, and we'll talk about them for just a few moments. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. What did he mean by that? We'll come back to it. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 5. So an interesting question, and I said we'd come back and address this, and here's the question, why would Jesus use the metaphor of salt 
in regards to our responsibility as his followers. Let me repeat that again. Why, among all things, would Jesus Jesus use salt to describe our responsibility as Christians? Now, let me just give you a little bit of background, and I'll do this briefly. There's a lot of detail we could go into here, but let me just speak to this uh, briefly and pragmatically. Salt was a great commodity to have in Jesus' day. And again, we're taking into consideration that that was occurring, that era was all before modern refrigeration. So salt uh, had a high value. A little history on this. The expression to be worth one salt actually has its roots all the way back in ancient Rome when soldiers were sometimes paid in salt or they were given an allowance to buy salt. So again, it was a prized commodity. Have you ever heard this expression? And I know you have. Have you ever heard somebody say something like this? Well, they're not even worth their salt. Well, it goes back to this, the commodity. Again, these Roman soldiers, ancient Rome, often paid in salt. Uh, are given allowance to be able to buy salt. Someone has actually written this, that today, now we're speaking of the current time, that today there are reportedly more than 14,000 known uses for salt. So it's not like uh, the importance of salt just completely went out the window. 14,000 known uses for salt today. I'm going to give you just four. How many of you are glad I'm going to give you four and not 14,000? Couldn't do that. Your eggs and toast would get cold. So I want to mention four really quick things that salt does. And a lot of you have heard this before. So for you, it will simply be a reminder. Number one, salt purifies. In a world that is extremely, and we know this, impure, we have the opportunity to become agents of purification in this world. One of the uses of salt still to this day is that salt purifies. Secondly, salt preserves. Uh, How many of you are like me? You're really, really cautious with what you eat. You want to be sure that it's been prepared right, cooked right, that, uh, you know, the way that it was handled prior to, you're you're like me. You're a little over the top in regards to that. And so I I just started thinking about that. What did happen prior to uh, modern refrigeration when you couldn't keep items in a refrigerator or, or a freezer? Salt preserves. Salt, and I did a little reading on this, more than I'll share here in this moment, but salt would actually be used to dry food, and it would actually draw water, moisture out of food in an effort to reduce bacteria. And how many of you know that that would be a really good idea? So uh, in likened fashion, salt preserves. And this message of salvation that Jesus has, that you and I are to be distributors of as salt and light, it has a preserving effect upon people, preserving for eternal life. So salt purifies, salt uh, also preserves, thirdly, salt heals. And you know this, because if you've ever been at the beach, and if you live where I live, you love the beach most likely. Have you ever noticed this? When you've gone to the beach, and you have a cut, or you have a sore on your body, salt water always seems to speed up the healing process. So salt purifies, it preserves, it heals. And then we know this, and you've heard this before, I'm sure, salt creates a thirst. It creates a thirst. You eat something salty, uh, what do you want to do? You want to drink something right after it. Salt creates thirst. And see, when you and I are loving like Jesus and we're living a Jesus-like life, it causes people to want, to thirst 
for that kind of life. They're like, oh, what can I do? It creates a curiosity. It creates a thirst. When they see that you and I have this abiding peace in our life, they're like, hey, what is it about them that they have that kind of peace? I'm interested in that. What is it about them that they have that kind of joy? I don't seem to be happy like they are. I don't seem to have the same attitudes and disposition. What is it about their life and I hope that it would be true of your life, that causes people to ask, what is it that is different about them? Why is their life so unlike my life? And it creates a curiosity and a thirst to experience that kind of life. So Jesus very intentionally uses a metaphor of salt. And in Jesus's day, when he spoke it, people would have realized right away, salt is something that was really, really important. But there was something else that Jesus used in terms of a metaphor that he describes who we are as his followers. He uses, and we've actually, we know, talked about it already, salt, but he also uses this expression of light. Let's go back uh, to Matthew chapter 5, and I want you to look at these two verses. Jesus has already said, you're the salt of the earth. Now he says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Well, we need to talk about that. Instead, this is what they do. They put it on its stand, and it gives light to everybody that is in the house. And that really, really matters a lot. Now, again, modern conveniences cause this to be a stretch for us. And yet, just like when Jesus used this expression about salt, when Jesus mentions light, his listeners, when they heard these words, would have connected with this immediately. See, in this day, and we know this, it's obvious, they didn't have electricity, they didn't have matches, they didn't have lighters, so providing sufficient light in your home at night, and Jesus knew this, and his listeners knew this, that's why I use this expression, uh, this would not be an easy task. I mean, as long as it was daylight, you were fine, but at night, no electricity, no, uh, no lighters, uh, no matches, uh, it became a difficult task. So you would have to get the candle lit, and then you would have to make sure that you kept it burning once it was lit, even if you were gone from home for a short time. And what people would uh, generally do is if they were going to be gone for a short time from their home, they wouldn't blow that candle out, that light out necessarily, because it wouldn't be so easy to get it lit all over again. So they would take many times a bowl with a hole in the top, and they would place it over the light to keep it burning. So it would continue to burn but that it would not blow out. And Jesus used this very intentionally. And he's saying to them, and he's saying to us, this is what I want you to do. I, I don't want you to do that with your life. I don't want you to put your light under a bowl. I want you to let your light shine. Let it shine all the time. And again, speaking into our modern day context, if Jesus were like coming up to you right now and saying, I want your light to shine, he'd be saying, following that probably with words like this. Hey, I, I want you to let your light shine when you're at work. When you're there with the people that you work with and the place where you work, don't just fall into the trap of everybody around you. Don't be like everybody else. 
You let your light shine. Let there be something different about your life in the place where you're working. Hey, when you're with your friends, don't cave. No matter what, you know, the bent of that direction may go. If they go down a path that is not in keeping with who you are, Jesus would say, as my follower, you don't have to go down that path. You don't have to follow what they're doing. You just let your light shine 24-7 all the time. When you're at school, you let your light shine. When you're at the gym, you let your light shine. When you're on a date, you let your light shine. In the tough times, you let your light shine. On a boat, with a goat, in a box, with a fox, in a house, with a mouse, here or there, everywhere. Okay, okay, I realize that was Dr. Seuss. That was not Jesus, Dr. Seuss, but I couldn't help it. It is you and I putting our light on. This is what Jesus is saying. Full display all of the time, no matter who we're with, no matter where we're at, we are letting our light shine. We get the point. Our light on full display for all to see. But why? Why did we do that? Well, that's answered in the very next verse. Look at this verse, verse 16. Jesus said in the same way, let your light shine before men, before women, before people. Why? That they may see your good deeds and that they may praise your Father who is in heaven. And I know a lot of times what we think, you know, I can't do that. Maybe you're watching right now and you're like, Jeff, I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. Jesus, I'm a Christian. Uh, I want to be sawed. I want to be light. But Jeff, I just can't do that. And I want to just say to you, oh, yes, you can. You can do that. Because if you're a follower of Jesus, guess what you are? You are salt and you are light. And I'm talking about you. You are not excluded from that. You are salt and you are light as a follower of Jesus. And when you know who you are, you will know what to do. Now, I realize you may be saying, I can't do that. And then may, you may get into a litany of reasons as to why you can't. You may say, well, well, Jeff, I need to be excluded on this one because, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I don't know a lot about the Bible yet. Okay, I hear you in my mind, can't hear you literally, but you are still salt and light. But Jeff, here's my out. I'm a fairly new Christian. I, I don't know a lot yet about Christianity and living the Christian life. I haven't been doing it all that long. And I want to especially challenge those of you that are new Christians because there's people in and around your life more so than for a lot of us that have been Christians for a long, long time that you can influence, that you can be salt, that you can be light uh, where you're at. So you, you can't say, well, I'm just a new Christian. You can't say, well, you know what? Uh, I would be salt and light, but I mess up all the time, it seems, and I make mistakes. And I want to just say, join the rest of us. Join the mess up, make mistakes club because we all do it. Or you may be saying, but my life is such a mess right now, or I'm going through rough times in my own life. How in the world can I be salt and light for other people? You can be sought in life. Your life doesn't have to be perfect because none of us are perfect. We're all works in progress. We all would like to be better Christians. We would like to know more about the Bible. We would not, we'd like to not mess up nearly as much as we do. We wish everything in our life was perfect and in order. But if we wait until those things happen, guess what? We'll never be sought. We'll never be light. 
What you are is salt and you are light. Jesus is clear about that. And he says this. You saw it just a moment ago. When people who are far from God see your good deeds, guess what they're going to do in response to that? They will glorify your heavenly Father. When they see the life that you live, that your life is salt and your life is light wherever you are, at your workplace, as I mentioned, at school, wherever you're at, among your friends, Wherever you're at, letting your light shine 24-7, people will see that. They'll see that there's something different about you, and it will make them start giving greater consideration to your Heavenly Father. It may be the beginning of them having a relationship with Christ. But I want you and I to just do a timeout right here for just a moment. Because I need this, and I suspect you need it as well. I want you to stop and consider this with me. And we all need to be totally honest with ourselves. It's really not about our feelings and our emotions in regards to people who are spiritually lost, people who are without Jesus, people who are far from God. It's not really about our emotions. It's not really about our feelings. It's actually more about our choices. It's about our actions. It's about like maybe you'll do as I need to do right now, just being painfully honest with ourselves and asking ourselves this question, how much do I really care? See, the reality is... You and I are locking eyes with people every single day, every unbelieving person that we come in contact with is in danger of slipping into eternity without Jesus at any moment. And it's easy to forget that. I know I do, and perhaps you do as well. And it's not because we're bad people. We're not. We're just busy people. We're so occupied in the in the day-to-day grind of our own lives, that a lot of times, I know it is for me, I love Jesus, I'm committed to Christ. I'm not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but I've been growing in my walk and relationship with God for a long, long time. I want my family members, I want my friends, I want the people that I know that I come in contact with in businesses and restaurants and gyms, I want them to know Jesus. But a lot of times we just get so busy with our life that we forget our responsibility. How much do we care? Now, here's the good news, and I want you to think about this. If you're concerned that you don't care enough, can I repeat that? If you're concerned that you do not care enough about people that are far from God, that's usually a good indicator that you care much more than what you think. We just need to ask Jesus, all of us do, to help us, to help us to be salt to help us to be the light that we want to be, to help us to do what we want to do, to help us to do what we can do when He helps us, and He always will. It's you and I taking the time and being relentless and being consistent and saying, Jesus, I'm asking you for your help. I want my life to be like salt. I want my life, uh, you know, my life to be salt. I, I want there to be this purifying effect, this preserving effect, this healing effect. My life is creating thirst for other people that don't know you yet. God, I want my life. It's asking for his help. I want to be your light. I want to keep on shining so brightly, Jesus, that people will begin to acknowledge that there's something different about me, and it's not me. It's you in me, and it will cause them to acknowledge that they need you in their life. See, as salt and light, as carriers of his message of salvation, 
And we need to be so clear on this because a lot of times, well-meaning as we might be, at times we think, if I'm really going to be salt and light, this is what I need to do. I need to run from the darkness. And Jesus never asked you or me to run from the darkness, but he did ask that our life would shine into the darkness. So it's not running. There's a lot of darkness around. It really is. There's a lot of darkness around, and, and with the darkness, and we can shy away. We can say, well, you know, just look at the way they live. Look at the way they talk. Look at what they do, and I'm just going to steer completely clear of that. There's just so much darkness over there. I'm not going to get near, and we're certainly knowing that we remain consistent in who we are as followers of Jesus, and it doesn't mean that we sort of blend in with the crowd. We don't do that, but we don't run from the darkness. We allow the light of Christ to shine into the darkness. And I know the darkness can be frightening places. Some of you have heard me tell the story about uh, when our middle child, Drew, was really young. He was like extraordinarily afraid of the dark. I mean, he had to have a light. There's no chance at nighttime when it was time for him to go to bed. There's no chance he would go to bed without there being some light on that was either in his room or shining into his room. He was terribly afraid of the dark. And I, sh- I shouldn't have done this, but, you know, I, one day, he was in the shower just, uh, just uh, you know, uh, singing away, and he was singing loudly. He sounded happy, and, and so I walked into, he was actually in the master ba- uh, bathroom, and so I walked in there. There was no external windows, two doors, and I walked into that bathroom and I shut one of those doors really quietly, and then I walked over to the other door, and I shut it really quietly. The light is still on in the bathroom. He is still singing, and I thought to myself, this is going to be so absolutely funny. I'm going to cut the light off in here. I mean, it was as dark as Egypt in that bathroom, with there being no window to the outside, and so I'm just thinking, this is going to be so good. He's singing. He's happy. I put my hand up on the light switch and I just took a moment and then real quickly I flipped it off and I'm just thinking there's going to be horrific screams coming from the shower from our son who is so afraid of the dark instead he keeps right on singing he's just singing away and I'm like maybe he's been cured maybe he's been healed of his fear of the dark but then I came to the realization oh no He's singing. He's got his eyes shut. He must be washing his hair. And I waited for his reaction. He's singing. And then there was a pause. And then there was a loud noise coming from the shower as Drew screams, I'm blind. I'm blind. I can't see. And I flipped the light on immediately. And so it wasn't, you know, end result nearly as funny as I thought it would be. And counseling went well for him for the next several years of his life. Not really. He didn't have to do that. But, you know, the darkness is a frightening place. Impurity lingers there, and sin lingers there, and chaos lingers there. But Jesus never asked us to run from the darkness. He asked us to shine the light into the darkness. In fact, I want you to think about something maybe you haven't thought about that much, that the light of Jesus in us always shines the brightest in the darkest places. I want to say that again. The light of Jesus, the light of Christ in your life always shines the brightest in the darkest places places. And we need to remember that. Now, in our remaining time, I want to take you to a fascinating event. And this will only uh, take a moment. But this is in Acts chapter 16. And I want you to see an example of what we've been talking about for the last few moments. 
I want you to see the, the life of the great leader, the great spiritual leader, the Apostle Paul, and his friend Silas. And just that they're saying, hey, I'm going to be salt. I'm going to be light no matter where I'm at, no matter who I'm with, no matter what the circumstances of my life are. And so on this occasion in Acts 16, we catch up with Paul and Silas, and they're in a deep, dark dungeon. They're in a prison. Their lives have been so radically transformed by Jesus that they cannot stop talking about it. Everywhere they go, no matter where they're at, who they're with, they're talking about Jesus. Jesus and how Jesus has transformed, how Jesus has changed their lives. And uh, God used them in powerful ways. But for the religious establishment, the religious authorities, it just made them spit fire mad. They were angered by it. So they actually take Paul and Silas and they arrest them, they beat them severely, and then they lock them up in this deep, dark dungeon. They put their legs in stocks, and we may think, well, that wasn't a big deal because maybe you've been to a little tourist area and seen the little stocks, and it's cute. But it wasn't cute. They would take their legs and spread them out so far, so wide, that there'd be severe cramping. And those of you that have ever had a cramp in the middle of the night, this would be mild by comparison. So arrested, simply for following Jesus, and talking about Jesus, and loving Jesus, and living a Jesus life like arrested, beaten, putting in this deep, dark prison in stots. And uh, I want you to see their reaction to this. This is amazing to me. This is Acts 16, verse 25. And their reaction is quite different than I think mine would have been. About midnight, Paul and Silas, what were they doing? They were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. So what is going on? Paul and Silas, they're bringing light. They're shining light into a very dark place. Had it been you, had it been me, I know, I can't speak for you, but for me, I would have been like, Jesus, I'm trying to do all the right things. My life has been changed. My life has been transformed. I've been sharing my faith. I've been sought and light to the best of my ability. And this is what is going to get me. And I've got a feeling that maybe I would have been mad. Maybe I would have been a little frustrated. Maybe I've been asking why. Maybe I would have been slightly disillusioned, maybe majorly disillusioned. But not Paul and Silas. They're singing Praise to God. They're praying. Light is shining in a very dark place. I want you to see what happens next because it's absolutely mind-blowing. We pick up with this next verse. Suddenly, while all this is going on, suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors, this happens. God shows up. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Theirs and everybody else's for that matter. Look at the next part of this this passage. The jailer woke up. He had been sound asleep. Wow. Getting paid, but sleeping on the job. And when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword. He was about to kill himself. And you may be thinking, well, why was he about to kill himself? Because he knew that if the prisoners escaped, then he would lose his own life because he allowed the prisoners to escape. He, he took out his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Look at this phrase right here, the last part of verse 28. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. Hey, you don't have to kill yourself. We're not leaving. We're right here. And he knew. He just saw what was playing out and all these prisoners escaped. Then they're going to take my life because I wasn't doing what I was supposed to do. And, and Paul just said, hey, we're all here. Don't miss this now. This sudden earthquake. 
See what happens, and I want you to know that this is bigger than just you and me. This is bigger. God, God works with us in this. He asks us. In fact, He commands us to be salt and light, to be carriers of this incredible message of salvation. But He doesn't just push us out there on our own and just say, hey, go do the best you can. He shows up. Jesus always shows up when we need Him most, and He shows up. Paul, Silas, just being light in a very dark place. Jesus shows up. I mean, massive earthquake. Chains came off. You saw this. Prison doors uh, flew open. Now, let's stop for just a moment. Just be transparent with one another. Do you think that you would have been like Paul and Silas just hung out there? I'm not sure. I'd like to think I would have done that. But I've got the feeling that I would have set a record, a personal best in my sprinting. Because when all that happened, prison doors, chains, you know, all of this happens. I've got a feeling I've been running for everything I've got getting out of there. Not Paul, not Silas. They remain there and they end up showing great love to this jailer and to his family. They're just being sought in line. Hey, listen, we're not going anywhere. Hang out. Stay right here. Don't do anything drastic. We're here. Now, this next part is so powerful. I want you to see this. This picks up at verse 29. The jailer called for lights. It's dark. I shared that. They're shining light into a very dark place. He rushed in and he fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, look at this, sirs, this very important question. Some of you are asking this question today. What must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And that's exactly what had happened. It never would have happened had they not been salt and light in a very dark place. See, Jesus has not asked you to participate in the works of darkness. He's not asked me to do that. But neither has he called us to run from it. Instead, we shine his light into the dark places that we sometimes find ourselves nearer. And uh, the reality is, as I mentioned a moment ago, his light always shines the brightest in the places that are the darkness. And this never would have happened in the life of this jailer, nor his family. You know, again, think about what would we have been doing, complaining, I would have been doing. Jesus, what's going on when I'm trying to do the right thing? They're praising God. And God shows up in such a powerful way. The jailer is saved. His household is saved. So if you're a Christian today, as we wrap this up, I want to just say to you, if you're a follower of Jesus, keep on praying and keep on proclaiming. Keep on shining and keep on sharing. Don't give up. This message of salvation that you and I are carriers of, it's a life and death message. And you're not perfect and I'm not perfect and you wish you were a better Christian and I wish I were a better Christian. I wish so many different, you know, wish that we didn't have problems from time to time, but our lives are never going to be perfect. We don't wait for a perfect life to become the light and the salt that he's asked us to become. Just before I pray, there are some of you that right now you're like, hey, I'm, I'm not a Christian. Maybe you're a seeker. Maybe you've been, maybe you've been giving uh, thought to a relationship with Jesus. Or like you've been reading the Bible and you've not picked up a Bible in a long, long time. Maybe you've never picked up a Bible, but you're seeking, you're searching for something. Others of you, you're astray. At some point, you were sheep in the fold and you walked with Jesus and you knew Jesus. But over time, 
Life has become complex for you for whatever reason, and you've just strayed away. I hope that today you'll ask the same question that the jailer asked, and that is, what must I do to be saved? And the idea is this. You believe and you receive. You believe that Jesus Christ is who he claimed to be, the Son of God, and that he did what he claimed that he did, came to this earth and died on the cross so that you and I can be forgiven of all of our sins. And then we receive. We receive Christ into our life. And you and I don't get the privilege of being able to do this because we've earned it or because we're good enough. It's all because of God's mercy and grace. And I pray today that if you don't know Jesus, that you'll believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be and that you'll receive him into your life right now as we pray this prayer. Will you join me in it? Just pray in your heart and your mind, Jesus, I believe. I don't understand. There's so much that I don't understand. There's more I don't understand than what I do understand. But I believe this, that you really are the Son of God. And I really do believe that you died on the cross so that I can have my sins forgiven. I believe that you love me. And now I want to receive you into my life. Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of all of my sins. Give me a brand new start. Empower me to be the person that you want me to be, the person deep down that I really want to be. I know I'm not good enough. I can't make it happen. But you, by a great work of grace, can make it happen within me. And so I receive you. Empower me now to be what you want me to be. And with your help, I will do it in Jesus' name. And you said, and everybody did, amen. God bless you, everybody. I love you. I look forward to seeing you next week.